I must break you. Hello and welcome to I Must Break, this podcast. This is the fan podcast celebrating the cinematic career of action legend Dolph Lundgren. I'm your host, Sean Malloy, and today we have a special unique episode. Recently, I had the pleasure of speaking with Christopher Hatton, writer and director of the 2013 action-horror science fiction hybrid film Battle of the Damned. In this film, Lundgren portrays arguably his best-named character yet, Max Gatlin, a soldier in a post-apocalyptic Asia who teams up with a band of renegade robots to take on a fierce army of the undead. Yes, you heard me right. This is Dolph Lundgren with robots and with zombies. It's an incredibly fun flick to just sit back and enjoy, and the brains behind this flick was just as fun to chat with. So while we are taking a giant leap ahead in the filmography of Dolph, I do hope that it doesn't steer us too far off course. This was an opportunity that I just couldn't resist taking advantage of, and when you have the opportunity to speak with a writer and director who directed the man himself, you have to take it. We'll be back on schedule next time, but in the meantime, I do hope you enjoy. So here's my conversation with Battle of the Dam's Christopher Hatton on I Must Break, this podcast. Okay, so I have the utmost pleasure of speaking with uh, director Christopher Hatton, uh, director of the 2013 Dolph Lundgren film Battle of the Damned. Uh, Mr. Hatton, thank you so much for joining me today, sir. Hi, Sean. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no. Um, so yeah, like I said, um, we you know when we you and I first started corresponding and talking, um, you know this was uh, this is one of his films that I always think is. Um, a little overlooked in terms of uh, in terms of quality and um, just you know he, he Dolph Lundgren was doing quite a few films um, from between the period of about 2010 to 2014 and uh, Battle of the Damned I would say is arguably probably one of his most fun uh, features. It's definitely the first time we ever saw uh, Lundgren you know blow away zombies and team up with robots. I mean the film pretty much has everything in the kitchen sink thrown into it and so. Um, yeah, th this is just a total kick to be able to talk with you, sir. Is that sir. a good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> no, I think it's a great thing. I think it's a great thing. Um, so yeah, I, I like I said, I just had a few questions for you regarding the uh, regarding the shoot, regarding the film, just your career um, in general. So uh, yeah, thank you for joining me, though. Yeah, sure, sure. That was fun, a fun film to work on. Um, so go for it. Let's talk about it. So well, I'm I'm curious. Um, before we get into Battle of the Damned, um, you know, you had done quite a, a few films prior to Battle of the Dam. So I was curious um, regarding your experience um, getting into the film industry, uh, your first couple films, um, you know, things like that. If, if you could, I know that's kind of a multi-layered uh, question right there, but um, what? Uh, how did you break into the business? Uh, how did I get into the business? Well, uh, uh, at, at the time, I was a student, uh, still in university, and uh, uh, Star Trek The Next Generation had a really unprecedented policy at the time. It was a, they had a sort of an unsolicited submission uh, policy. Um, anybody could write a script and send it to Star Trek Next Generation. 
and uh, and I did that, and um, they rejected it, <laughs> and I have the rejection letter, and uh, uh, but then amazingly, a few months later, I got another letter in the mail, and it said, uh, "Hey, we've been, you know, we haven't been able to get that." script you wrote off of our minds and so if it's still available uh you're still willing to sell it to us we'd like to buy it and uh and and that's that's how i got into the business i mean it's really crazy because that script uh kind of violated one of their you know sort of unwritten rules they had internally it involves space pirates and oh uh, cool and uh, was kind of a really more of an adventure romp. Um, so I think you and I have that in common, a kind of a fondness for for that that type of stuff. So uh, so that's how I got in. They bought that um, outright, and then uh, it's kind of expanded into a two part episode. And at the same time, then I went out to LA and pitched them and. Was really lucky because I, I hit with a my first pitch. It was my first Hollywood pitch, and they bought another one from me. And uh, and as a result of that, uh, uh, I was able to get an agent. Uh, and you know, suddenly I was in the business. Wow, that's cool. So you were, I mean, you're essentially living the dream. You were a Star Trek fan. You wrote a screenplay for a Star Trek episode, and it. And it got made. That that that's extremely impressive. Yeah, it, honestly, it really was about as cool as it gets. Because yeah, I had been a hardcore, uh, you know, Trekker, uh, real classic Trek fan, really into it. And um, so to to actually get you know to have a little tiny piece of that universe, you know, and you know to go on onto the set and while they're filming and and all that, it, you know, it was it was very very cool. No doubt about it. And and at the time, uh, Star Trek was really at a spike point. You know, it was like the seventh season of, of the Next Generation. So that was its, its final season. And I think the franchise at that point in time that was a, that was a real high point. Yeah. Uh, or uh, you know, now again, it's it's sort of having a, a moment. But uh, so it was very very cool. No doubt about it. You know. Well, and one of the you know one of the things that I think is interesting is looking at your filmography. You have the advantage of uh, being the writer and the director, so you essentially have had the ability to um, you know write what you envision and then being able to film that very vision on screen. I'm curious regarding these uh, Star Trek scripts. Um, was there anything that when it was filmed and you got to see it, uh, you know, fully produced, you thought to yourself, well? That's not how I would have done it. I, w I would have filmed this thing differently here. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, firstly, you have to understand, I was as green as green could be at that point in time. So, um, although I had done some directing in, you know, in college, right, stage stuff, I, I didn't know anything about directing. So I'm not really sure I would have had an opinion at that point. Uh, narratively, yeah, there were things that were different than, than I uh, intended. The first one I did was uh, an episode called Gambit, and it involved uh, Captain Picard becoming a mercenary pirate. And, uh, you know, I think, 
you know, I had written a, a one-episode spec script, and, and they turned that story into two episodes, and I'm, I assume they did that because it was kind of expensive. Um, or, or maybe they just thought, oh, there's, there's enough here. Let's, let's really go for it. I don't know. Um, that, was, that was cool that that happened, but I suppose the fundamental change that they made um, was a tonal change that, that I wish they hadn't have done, um, and that is that in my spec, the card was having the time of his life. It was, it was fun. You know, it, it, it happened sort of by accident that he found himself in this um, unique uh, situation, but um, but he sort of quietly admits to, to Riker that he's he's just delighted by what's going on, and um, and so there was a kind of spirit of fun in it. And when they they you know made the episodes, uh, they they kind of took that out, and it was much more he's being forced to be kind of a, a pirate and, and there was this, this is kind of darker and, and a lot of that, that, that fun was extracted from it. So, you know, that's too bad, but, but they were a bit serious, you know, on that series. They had a harder time, I think, lightening it up, you know, um, and so maybe, or maybe they just thought that uh, to justify it, well. two episodes had to have a more menace in it or something. Uh, so that, that's one thing I would have changed. Um, um, but you know, again, I didn't know, I didn't know much about anything. I, you know, and, and on the, the next episode, you know, it was the first time I'd been in a, a writer's room in Hollywood and, you know, it was pretty intimidating to be honest. I mean, it was exciting and, uh, and I learned a lot fast. Uh, but, it was scary, so I, I didn't really have much room to have an opinion. I was I was really just trying to hang on, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so you know, if we move forward um, into your career, um, the first film, the first couple films that you worked on, um, how would you describe those experiences? Well, the first uh, independent film I did was a long, 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 long time ago, and it was a good experience. It was really interesting. I mean, uh, you know, same deal, really, which is that, you know, now I look back and I just think, oh, my God, you know, it's so, so green that it feels more like film school than than anything. Um, it's a little film called Dark Woods, and uh, uh, was kind of quasi-based on a, on a real place, a kind of outlaw town that existed at that time in the woods, and it was very cool, and, and um, you know, I, I learned a lot, uh, you know, there are many things, you know, now I do completely differently, but I think that's just the way it always is. Yeah, well, and I think it's always, you know, it always comes down to the fact that you are your own, you are always your own worst critic, you know what I mean? Like, I think that's... Yeah. I think that's the same with, with a lot of professions and everything. Um, you know, so if we move on to uh, uh, Robotropolis, um, and I, I have so many questions regarding the, the linkage between Robotropolis and Battle of the Damned, because, okay. yeah, because I, is in fact, okay, maybe you can help me answer this one right now. Is Battle of the Damned an unofficial sequel to Robotropolis? Yes. Okay. Yes and no. Okay. <laughs> Um, well, is it unofficial? Yeah, unofficial. It, it, it was 
initially it was meant to be a, a sequel and then that sort of changed so it becomes a bit of a, a wink you know for anybody who's paid attention they can see that it, it sort of is a sequel but uh, yeah okay yeah because the robots are are virtually the same and I was gonna ask you about the design and the look of the robots as well um, in both the films um, but yeah the, the the robots are basically the same so when you started um, crafting the the idea and the, the genesis if you will for Battle of the Damned um, so it was initially uh, written and kind of envisioned as being a sequel to Robotropolis about when did you decide to shift gears and change that up a bit what do you mean change up so, so if the if the idea if the idea for the script was originally supposed to be you know a sequel you know a continuation of the story in Robotropolis, and I see. Um, yeah, okay. well, it, it kind of went like this. Uh, you know, we'd done Robotropolis, which was a much much tinier film, really very small actually, and uh, there'd just been a very good response to the robots. People people really liked those robots for whatever reason. And so I went to the funniest year, uh, and I said, hey, you know, these robots are cool. We should do more with the robots. We should do something else. Um, and they said, well, okay, but like what? <laughs> and so I had to think on that for a while. And, uh, and, and, you know, I can't, you know, one day I just kind of the idea of robots versus zombies popped into my head and I thought that would be pretty good you know zombies were still a pretty big thing at that point and, and I thought oh that would be fun I haven't seen that uh, so I pitched that to them and they liked it Yeah. okay yeah that was going to be my next question is how the initial idea um, for, for Battle of the Damned came about and so it sounds like obviously the robot element was, was first and then you um you brought in the zombies, obviously, a little bit later. I'm curious, um, how would you describe, because it, it does fall into the, into the zombie uh, genre, if you will, but it is, it is different. It does have its own spin on it. And I'm curious, how would you describe the new spin that you put onto the zombie genre in Battle of the Damned? Well, I think it's generous of you to, to suggest there's a new spin. I don't really think there's that new uh, a spin uh, <laughs> on, on the zombies, I think, you know, that, that particularly at that point, you know, there were kind of two ways to go with zombies. You have the, the, the sort of slow-moving zombies, the Night of the Living Dead type of zombies, or you have the zombies that were very influenced by, by 28 Days Later. And yeah. obviously we went, with, we went that direction because... Uh, you know, if you think about just the contest between a robot and a zombie, uh, it seems pretty obvious who's going to win. Um, but if you've got, you know, a deluge, you know, if you've got a thousand zombies, you know, coming at a handful of robots, then maybe maybe the zombies will win. So, so you know, there were at the time these kinds of thoughts about, okay, how to make this, you know, a worthwhile contest and not just silly, right? Yeah. Um, so, so, so there was that. Um, and, you know, it was pretty funny on set, too, because uh, we had all these zombies and they all 
they all came in with a kind of uh, expectation of what a zombie is supposed to be, and they, and they had the other idea. You know? And so I had to essentially teach them how to be <laughs> on the zombies I, I wanted, and there was really nothing else I could do but sort of act it out myself and go running down the street, you know, berserking out and crazy, and it was somewhat embarrassing. But uh, but uh, that, that was kind of the thinking. So I don't, I don't really think the zombies were, were particularly original. Um, but, but maybe the take from a standpoint of it being a little bit more of an action movie really than a, a classic uh, horror picture, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and going to the robots real quick, so I'm curious, um, designing the robots, uh, what were you going for in terms of uh, looks and design? Did you have a hand in designing what, okay, you wanted these pristine white-looking, you know, uh, uh, machinery, you know, I mean, did, did you have a, a say in that, or did the design department kind of take over with that, or how did, the, how did that process work? Yeah, those were designed, uh, the original design, the, you know, the main design that has sort of endured, um, was done by a fellow named Terry Izumi, who's based in L.A., and he's a phenomenal uh, designer, designer of robots and many, many other things, and uh, um, the, the, the design, of course, was really for the film Robotropolis, and in that film, these robots, you know, work on a petrochemical platform, and they sort of had to have a kind of functionality that made sense. And uh, so, so you know, he and he's a, a robot, a, a, an actual robot designer, not just a guy who designs robots movies but he actually designs practical robots as well and they are actually in the marketplace and so so he was able to apply some you know some real understanding of, of how robotics really work in the world and so you know if you actually go back and look at the original design uh, on papers astonishing they had all kinds of interesting functions um, um, and they could go into, you know, this mode where they, I think we called it dog mode, just because we had no, nothing better to call it, but they can run on all fours. They can, there, there, there are a lot of interesting things they could do. Um, so, you know, so we, we just kind of inherited what they were with, um, when we went on to uh, Battle of the Dam. Though they, they evolved a little bit, some of that was because of, uh, some of the limitations with the VFX guys at the time, uh, the, the first iteration of the robots had a much softer shell, much more interesting, but, but we had a hard time executing that because it just kind of made them look like toys. It didn't look right. badass. Yeah. Honestly. And uh, so, so then they were kind of walked back a step to, to be a little more classic, uh, a little more what people expect of a robot and uh and they're much more you know battle of them we, we just sort of there's been a learning curve on how to, to do the robots um so i think they're much more effective in battle of the dam and and and, and then you do little tricks like, you know, when they when they walk they they uh there's a much heavier footfall, and the sound effects are higher, and so they, they 
sound tougher and meaner, badder, because they needed to. Oh no! When they're walking, and you know those scenes when um, they're they're first introduced and they're walking down the street, the sound effects that you employ are badass. I mean, you know that these that the <laughs> that, that that these are characters in the film who are going to be um, uh, providing Dolphin Company a uh, a helping hand. So yeah, I, I love the sound effects that you choose, especially with the uh, with the robots in the film. Um, so I'm curious. Um, so okay. You have the idea for the film. Um, you start writing it. Well, imagine it was your intent to direct it as well, in addition to in addition to writing the script. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but you know, it, it started differently than just me sitting down to write a script. Um, there was a whole process that was kind of interesting. Uh, you know, I pitched the concept to the financiers and they liked it and this was strictly a robots versus zombies and it was still to, to a pretty high degree a sequel to Robotropolis so the, the handling of it was 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 fairly different and, and a, a treatment was created and, and we went back and forth um, but finally what it, it came down to was the financier wasn't sure okay and and they they said, okay, we're going to give you a little bit of money, and we want you to shoot a proof of concept trailer. And then we're going to take that to the market, and then we're going to test it. And if buyers are interested, then we'll greenlight your film. And, and if they're not, well, then it's not going to happen. And so so they gave, uh, they gave us a bit of money. And, and it was an odd kind of thing to do, which is, okay, and now to sort of make a trailer for a film that doesn't really exist. Uh, what's that going to be? And, and that trailer is actually available on YouTube. You can find it. Uh, it's called, uh, somebody put it up there. I didn't, but somebody put it up. It's called, uh, I believe it's called Battle of the Damned VFX Trailer. And, uh, you know, people in it and all this um, and so I made that and they took that to the market and tested it and when they came back they were very excited because it had gone over really well and they even had some pre-sales already for the film but there wasn't even a script at this point <laughs> uh, and, uh, and that's when uh, they said Yes, we definitely want to make this film. We've already made a sale, um, but we've had some thoughts, and we have uh, a very specific casting idea that we want to run past you. Okay? And they said, "So sit down. <laughs> All right. We think you should do it with Dolph Lundgren." And I said, "What?" I said, "Yeah, we think Dolph would be great." in this um, and you know uh, quite honestly I didn't I didn't really know where Dolph was I didn't know what was going on with Dolph and, and so I, I, it really took me by surprise it was the last name I would have ever thought about really okay um, yeah I didn't know I didn't know I, I mean you know I, I knew him from back in the day but I didn't know that he had had a kind of resurgence and was you know and, and there was a lot of interest in Dolph at that point uh, and uh, I guess, yeah, Expendables had happened, uh, and 
that really, you know, reignited his career. There, there was just a lot of stuff happening with Dolph at the time, but I, it was kind of off my radar. I didn't know. So, so I was kind of surprised by this. Uh, but, you know, in that situation, you say, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. I, I totally get that. And then you find out what, what, what you're agreeing to. Um, but once that happened, you know, I immediately went and watched some of Dolph's more recent stuff to find out, you know, what he looked like, how he moved, what was going on with him. And it seemed very clear to me that uh, if you put Dolph Lundgren in this thing, it becomes a Dolph Lundgren film. You know, it's not Dolph Lundgren is in a movie about robots versus zombies. It is, it's a Dolph Lundgren movie. Right. And um, he had an audience that had a very clear expectation of, you know, what he does, who he is and all that kind of thing. And so, so I went back to the guys and and the financiers and I said, you know, I think we have to kind of throw out everything that's been developed so far and kind of start over and build it around Dolph um, because uh, he's you know he's he's a force of nature and and he's a very specific kind of guy and I needed to to work around that and you know the truth is uh, that made the thing work it actually did uh, you know the, the robots versus zombies concept was cool. It is a cool concept, but you know we had a limited budget. We're not, you know, it's not um, uh, World War Z or something like that. And so there was only going to be X amount of robot versus zombie battle we could do anyway. Uh, just you know, it, it costs a lot of money, and so there had to be more to the story than, than just fighting all the time. At least that kind of fighting. And uh, uh, so bringing Dolphin, you know, brought a, a, a kind of, I don't know, a tone and, a, and an approach. And uh, so I'm, I'm really grateful in retrospect that they had that very good idea to bring him in. Yeah, well, and the, you you have been ahead of me because that was going to be my next couple questions, and you'll have to forgive oh, me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you'll have to forgive me because I'm a little all over the place here. But yeah, so um, so it sounds like you know once Dolph was uh, once he was attached, and you were able to get him to get him on board. Um, that's when the character of Max Gatlin, which by the way, okay, you can take credit for it. Was was the I was the name Max Gatlin your your idea? Was that your creation? Yeah, that is yeah, a badass know. name, man. <laughs> uh, it took a while to get there. He had many different names until that one emerged. So yeah, so it sounds like the entire character of Max Gatlin was pretty much written around Dolph and for Dolph with him in mind. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so I'm curious. You you said it. What were some of the other names that you were uh, that you were throwing around and toying around with? Oh gee, I I don't remember. That's oh no, okay. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, it would have. You, you look for a kind of badass name that, that is <laughs> somewhat plausible. I think Den of Geek actually did a little article on how cool, how cool that name was, or something. You know, um, yeah. Even before the movie came out, and that was really kind of fun to see. Uh, but it, it was it was perfect for him. It was no. perfect. 
No, it, it really is, and I mean, it is, I mean, it is, okay, it is a robots versus zombies, you know, movie, but yeah, like you said, it is also a Dolph Lundgren action picture, because he is in virtually, um, 80% of the scenes, I would say, 85% of the scenes, I mean, he, he owns the movie, and his presence definitely, uh, definitely is felt throughout the film. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe was the original title, at least the title that you were using to kind of help sell it, was it Max Gatlin colon Battle of the Damned? Was that right or no? Uh, well, I don't know. Uh, they may have. Uh, all I ever saw was was Battle of the Damned. Okay. Um, but of course, after that first market, then then from that point on, yeah, it was Dolph was of course used as a as a as a sales tool, a marketing tool. But that's obvious. I mean, he was, he was you know a star, and so. But, but no, the title was always Battle of the Damned, and I that I can't take credit for. That was I I didn't have I couldn't figure out the title. Um, I had some really stupid titles, and <laughs> um, I suppose many of them had the Z in front of you know. And, I, and at one point, you know, the sales agent said, "No, this is terrible. You cannot, you absolutely cannot start anything with the letter Z because then." Your film is at the bottom of, you know, uh, it's alphabetically at the bottom of every list. So no one will ever see your movie because they'll have stopped to, to watch some other picture before they've ever scrolled down far enough to know it's there. And and, uh, and then one day they handed me that uh, title and yeah, it worked. It worked. Very cool. Now, um, regarding the whole character of Max Gatlin, um, did you consider giving... Um, did you consider giving the character um, a backstory, or was this going to be saved for a sequel, or did you have the idea of continuing the story on into another sequel, or I guess that's many questions right there. But <laughs> questions. Um, uh, well, there's a little bit of a backstory for Max Gatling, um, and yeah, there was some thought that, that if uh, another film happened, uh, a daughter would be brought in um, that he's somewhat estranged from, and uh, and try to to start a, you know sort of process of humanizing him more. Uh, but obviously we didn't get there. Okay. What was it? What was it like working with uh, working with Lundgren on set? Once he showed up on set, and here he is, um, the the lead character in your you know in your script that you had uh, that you had originated what was it um, what was it like with him with him on set yeah it was good it was it was easy uh, you know because you know he's an old pro and he, you know he came to play he, but, but you know he'd been there early on I went to Hong Kong to meet him he was just wrapping uh, I think Expendables 2 uh, and had to have been expected to, I guess. And so the script didn't exist at that point. So we we sat and talked about it. I mean, I had a, a basic kind of storyline, and, and I had this character in mind and, and sort of what happens. But, but, but I had to convince him, you know, to do it first. Uh, and uh, so we had talked early on. Um, and, I, and actually, I think we kind of connected over 
we both had a fondness for the character Snake Plissken in From Escape from New York. And uh, I remember we talked a lot about Kurt Russell's performance and that picture. And and so, so Dolph was kind of in early in some general conversations about the direction. And, and so he was well primed for the idea of the character and had been thinking about it maybe longer than sometimes, right? Um, so, yeah, when we got to set, he was great. You know, it, it helped that he had come from a, a some shoot in China that I think was not so great. <laughs> I was, we were filming in Malaysia on, in a border town and not the most comfortable spot on earth. Uh, and I remember being kind of, kind of concerned that, oh, Adolf's going to come in and he's just going to this is this is awful and, and miserable, but uh, luckily he'd been in a far worse experience just before us, so he was actually pretty happy. Um, and uh, yeah, he, he, you know he's got a great sense of humor. We had connected on that level. Uh, he likes to you know to laugh and on set and. and uh, uh, so it was easy. It was it was not that difficult at all. I mean, we had difficult days. You always do. And 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 make no mistake, this you said it yourself. He's in eighty percent of this picture, maybe more. And there is a lot of physical uh, action in it. Uh, oh, it a, starts. A, yeah, a as soon as the film starts. And yeah, environmentally, uh, it wasn't an easy place. You know. You, very close to the equator and so so it was grueling and so yeah there were some days that were were you know not fun from that standpoint but he was always uh you know, pretty easy to get along with and we had a good time oh yeah well that was going to going to be one of the other things i was going to talk with you about is the film is you know it's incredibly brisk but it is edited so tightly and the exposition is given in just just enough doses and so, you know, as soon as the as soon as the film starts, I mean, you know, your characters, your lead characters are on the run. I mean, and so I'm curious, how much was left on the editing room floor, if anything at all? I mean, because this the film is quick, but I mean, it hits all the necessary beats, and I mean, it, it, it's great. It's it's fun to watch um, for those 90 minutes. Was there anything left on the editing room floor? A tiny, tiny bit. A, a few minutes here and there. There was one scene that was dropped during production that I made the decision to uh, to cut. Um, but in terms of, of what we actually committed to, to shooting, um, it's mostly all there. There was some trims uh, with some of the supporting characters um, a little bit to pace it up. Um, as far as the, the pacing, you say it, you know, it kind of comes out the gate running, and that was a, a response to the, the previous film and some criticisms I'd had for it being a bit slow and whatnot. So I just thought, okay, well then, uh, on this film, I'm going to just start with action from the first second, and and, I, and I'm just going to go. And I mean, you know, it sounds kind of funny now thinking about it but I knew that you know in you know at the in sales markets you know you've got uh, a few minutes in a sense to 
to catch the guys who were out there buying films, right? And uh, and uh, you know, you probably they'll probably make their decision within about ten minutes, you know. And if you haven't got them in ten minutes, you've lost them, right? So I said, okay, fine. Just a solid ten minutes of action before I ever even start with the credits, and that's what you get, and that's why. Uh, why that is that way but uh, as for the editing uh, I had a, a, a tremendous editor a guy named Danny Raffick uh, who had just come off a film called The Iceman and uh, more recently he did a, a, a costume film called it's called Criminal uh, and, and Danny's just a you know, he's the real deal he's a great editor and uh, so uh what he was doing. Yeah. Well, now, and one one of the things I was wondering as well, um, you know, you know, Dolph is your your lead character, and I'm curious, um, the toothpick that he carries. Um, I know this is something small to ask, but I'm just wondering, the toothpick that his character carries was this Dolph's idea, or was that in the script? Was it improvised there on the spot? Uh, it was invented by. Me, but but he and I talked about it. Um, okay. <laughs> you know, we were looking for small uh, details, things that make you know characters real people. Um, and you know, there's this kind of generally, you, you know, maybe you want to do three three things. So so a couple of them were in the script. Um, the Max Gatling is always, you know, on the lookout for a cup of coffee. Uh, makes many references to, I uh, could use a cup of coffee or something like that. So that was one. Um, the other was I, I wanted to acknowledge his age. Um, you know, he's not a young guy running around. And uh, so with some trepidation, I suggested to him that uh, Max needs glasses to look at a map, and and he was really good with that. Uh, yeah, that's great. Um, so again, it humanizes the guy. He's not just a, you know, a total badass, uh, you know, uh, soldier. Um, and, and that's a little bit of a throwback to, you know, um, Captain Kirk in The Wrath of Khan, too, right? Where, yeah. Uh, he has to use glasses to see something. Um, so, so that was the second thing, and then, and then, uh, the, the toothpick comes about because, you know, I'm sure it was really influenced by, kind of, you know, like Clint Eastwood spaghetti westerns and, and other westerns where these guys were, were chewing on, you know, cigarette stubs and things like that. But, you know, I wasn't gonna have this guy smoking, but I like that kind of gesture, right? Uh, and so a toothpick kind of made sense okay yeah, yeah no it's okay. and I, I gotta give you major props as well for the opening title when battle of the dams flies on the screen it is so cool i mean you know like you said it opens up where your first 10 minutes these characters are on the run i mean it starts off you have this incredible action sequence and just you know the the shot of uh dolph's max gatlin character jumping over the fence and then you know as he has that toothpick he looks at the zombies who are you know trying to 
trying to get him through the fence, and how he says, Max Gatlin, you're a son of a bitch, and then boom, how Battle of the Damned flies onto the screen. I mean, that really lets you know what you're in for, but I mean, it's something different, but it's a lot of fun. Um, and so, yeah, I, I always loved the, the first 15, 20 minutes of the film are, um, are incredibly inventive and unique in that sense. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, yeah, as I say, it was, it was just me making sure my buyers stood up and took notice. But uh, that, that scene uh, where he jumps the, the fence, was that was quite an intense shoe. Uh, we were in a gnarly uh, auto yard, a really difficult place, and uh, Dolphin was just really insistent on on doing it, you know, virtually all of that himself, you know, all this running and jumping up on this car, truck, or whatever it was, um, yeah, because he's very committed to, to, you know, the audience seeing that it's, that it's him, it's the real guy, it's not, it's not entirely fake stuff, so, yeah, that was, that was fun, yeah. So now, about how long of a shoot was was the entire film? Golly, that was about twenty, I don't know, twenty-five days, maybe. Twenty-five days. Twenty-three days. Twenty-five. Not enough, I can tell you. Yeah, and and now you we said were always, uh, racing uh, to to get through the schedule, and never a moment to breathe. Uh, yeah. And you said that this was filmed in Malaysia, correct? Yeah. So now, and that was going to be my next question: is you know the the location is a great character in itself. I'm curious: did you scout various locations as well, or other countries, or was it always pretty much a given that it was going to be uh, filmed in you know um, everything in Malaysia? Um, well, firstly, thanks for for pointing out that the location is a character because um, sometimes, you know, I think the, the trolls on, on the internet uh, take for granted things that are actually really difficult to pull off. And, you know, of course, it's nobody's, um, uh, you know, they're not supposed to be thinking about the process the, the filmmaker goes through. Um, they, they just want a good story. But, but you know, it's not easy to film in an actual city that, that is fully populated and busy and, and, you know, going about its normal business and make it seem like a, a you know, a virtually abandoned sort of city overrun with zombies, um, you know, that was, it was a, really a hell of a challenge. Um, so, and I, it's one of the things I'm, I'm really very pleased about in that picture, uh, but as far as other locations, yeah, initially there had been some, some thoughts about shooting at somewhere else, and as I said, we had to make this kind of proof of concept trailer, and and the challenge of that was, okay, well, how do you make a trailer for a movie that doesn't exist, for a story that doesn't exist, it's just sort of a concept of robots and zombies inhabiting the same place, but you don't really have a ton of money to sell that idea, what do you do, and so... Uh, I began looking for, you know, a kind of dynamic location in which to film a thing like that that would, would add, you know, sort of sell production value, be cool and all that, and, 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 and get the aesthetic. And so 
I found this uh, amazing, this gigantic uh, abandoned mall uh, in, uh, in this town called Jahor Baru. And uh, the, the mall was supposed to be, at the time it was being built in the, in the 90s, early 90s. It was going to be the uh, biggest mall in, in Southeast Asia. Well, they never, they never finished. They got really close and then something happened. I suppose financiers fell, fell out or something. And, and it was just abandoned and just sat there. They sat there all, all these years and it filled up with water. You know, so there was all this water flow, flowing through the bottom of it, and, and it just looked incredible. And we went there to film that proof of concept trailer. And, you know, my producing partner and I kind of looked at each other, and we said, you know what, they're going to like this so much, they're going to want the movie to be filmed here. And, uh, yeah, and that's pretty much what happened. And so, so uh, the third act of the actual, Oh man, that's cool. Because that was, that was going to ask that as well. So you essentially, I mean, that is really cool, and that works to your advantage because you essentially really didn't have to build any sets for that matter. Because I, I was wondering as I was looking at these dilapidated buildings that you know just you know like you said had the water stains. I mean, it just it looks exactly like what you're going for this post-apocalyptic nightmare. But you didn't have to build any of that. That's how it was standing as is in Malaysia. Yeah, that was uh, just a, an incredible found location. Now, and there was, uh, you know, in, in key spots, maybe a bit of art direction to, you know, to, to add a few things here and there. But yeah, we found that as it is. And you can't, you know, can't cost you, you know, a lot of money to build that somewhere else. Um, of course, it was, we had to be very, very careful. It was very dangerous location. And so, so there was a lot of time and attention given to making sure nobody killed themselves in it. Because it was, it was really a crazy, crazy space. And the locals that we worked with um, were, were very frightened by it. They called it Ghost City and uh, believed it was, you know, filled with ghosts. Um, so they were they were scared. It was it was quite a location. Wow. So you so you obviously really didn't have to clear any areas out. I mean that area was abandoned as is. It sounds like so you could just go there, set up all your equipment, start shooting, and that that's cool. Yeah, it was the location they just kept on giving. There there was some amazing stuff. Uh, one of my favorite. Uh, uh, scenes in the picture is the death of a character called Elvis. Uh, uh, the Asian guy carries the sword around, yeah. which by the way, we had the sword. That was before I was really aware of Walking Dead or anything, so um, that wasn't ripped off from The Walking Dead, but uh, uh, but his death is uh, all done you know, this kind of shadow theater on a wall. Uh, he walks through this flooded space and it's you know light is reflecting and stuff and uh you know that's one of those things that that comes about because the location just gives you something wonderful to work with and you you kind of invented on the spot because we were getting a little tired at that point of oh here we go again or 
fighting with zombies, another death. How can we make this uh, special and interesting? And that, you know, that, when you're in a location like that, it's just, it's just fantastic. It just kind of points the way to you. Well, you know, and you mentioned The Walking Dead, and, um, you know, I'm going to throw it out there. Maybe The Walking Dead uh, stole that idea from you, and you gave them the inspiration. Could that be a possibility? I, I, I don't think so. No, that okay. Incredibly <laughs> flattering if it were true, but, uh, but I, I'm sure it's not. I, I suspect they were well in development <laughs> as we were in development and you know look, there are only there's so many ways that you can kill zombies and um, I'm sure the sword thing has been around long before even them you know uh, somebody else has done it I'm sure probably it was in the, the comic book uh, I, I didn't read it so I don't know um, but uh, you know there are only X number of I mean, everybody's playing in the same basic uh, toy box. And, yeah. You know, well, um, you, you brought up a lot of really interesting points. Um, it's just the fact that you really only had 25 days to shoot. I mean, if you look at the film and the idea of the film on paper, um, it, it seems, you know, uh, it seems like something that would be extremely big budget. You know, zombies versus robots. And the fact that you only had 25 days to film this on a, you know a smaller scale, modest budget, um, how did you work around those those kind of limitations? Uh, well, part of it is is preparation. You don't have the luxury to to show up and not know what you're doing. Um, you know, and, and not to suggest that, that 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 goes on a lot in big budget stuff, but but it kind of does to, to some extent. Um, they have you know days to execute things and to find out even if they've prepped a lot then then they still are making discoveries and, and you know we didn't really have that kind of luxury so you you really have to know what what you you're going to do and um it also takes uh, working with you know you need somebody like Dolph you know here's an actor who is incredibly uh, capable um in terms of you know, a really intensive uh, physical challenge. Uh, I, I don't think he'd had a physical challenge at that level for for a long time. He just, you know, was just go, go, go. But he was absolutely up to the task because he, he'd been doing it for so many years. He, you know, he came in, he knew what he was going to do. And we had a good, we had a good stunt team. Those the guys you see at the beginning of that picture, the other soldiers. Those are actually our our stunt team, you know, and they, they're all, you know, uh, very experienced professionals. Um, and so this, this great team, you know, really put everything together and, and had it, you know, ready. So when we, when we hit those locations, we were, we were ready to go and, and, you know, it gives you kind of an energy. Uh, you don't, you don't, you're not, you, know, you don't have the time to, Get comfortable, and when you're uncomfortable, uh, that that can be helpful. And and in this movie, I think it probably was because uh, you can feel that energy in it. Uh, and they are there in a nasty environment with nasty things going on. And, but they were in real life too. It was a it was a really unbearable physical environment. We were uh, dirty most of the time. It was hot and, and miserable and stinky. We were in in some really, really nasty spots. Um, 
and it just sort of adds to the texture of, of everything and it certainly lets the actors uh, have a sense of reality about them and you know the, the other thing is I had a great cast uh, by and large it's a really tremendous cast of, of people super prepared you know nobody came to set not ready to go um, so you know but this is this is pretty normal these days I, I think uh, nobody has the luxury of time anymore well you know and yeah you're exactly right and it feels like nowadays um, with uh, with direct with direct to video films direct to video action films in particular um, it seems like nowadays they are you know they don't have a whole lot of time in as far as you know the production goes you know they're shot very quickly um, you know that there's not uh, the direct to video market nowadays is vastly different I feel um, than where it was 15 years ago I would say oh for sure the budgets have come way down yeah <laughs> way way down uh, I mean there is no market uh, like there was uh, 15 years ago uh, DVD still you know was a, was a major major revenue stream it was, it was huge absolutely you know a main part of the revenue models and it's not anymore and so so films that would have been made back then for a few you know, million are now made for I me mean, today. This this very day we're speaking. You know, maybe they made for under a million. If you can yeah. imagine that. And, and that's still to me that is still so unfathomable to even to even think about. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do know what you mean. It's terrible. It, it, yeah. It's, you know, I I don't know how you know it continues to be honest. Uh, at some point, you know, people can't make a living. Uh, it's, 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 a, it's a great challenge, but you know, that's the way it is. But, you know, speaking, um, you know, obviously I cannot speak for Mr. Lundgren, but I, I can't help but wonder and imagine, you know, um, after The Expendables, his career had a little bit of a resurgence. And so ever since, he has been doing, he's been extremely prol prolific. Before The Expendables, he was doing maybe one film a year. Ever since, you know, this resurgence that he had due to The Expendables, um, he's been churning out as many as three, four films a year. And the great thing about them is he's always taking on new and unique little roles. And so, like I said earlier at the beginning um, when we first started talking, um, you know, this was the first, this was a different film for, you know, Dolph Lundgren to take a part of. You know, we had never, we had seen him in action films, but we'd never really seen him in, you know, a horror action science fiction hybrid that, that this film is. So that's what made it so much fun seeing, you know, Ivan Drago, He-Man, however, <laughs> however you're familiar with him, you know, um, taking out these zombies and teaming up with robots. It really was a new and unique experience to see. Yeah, well, I hope so. And yeah. I think Rob, he's got a couple of scenes where he shows another dimension, another range as well. Um, a couple of scenes I'm incredibly proud of. The stuff I'm most proud of in that film is not necessarily the spectacular bits. Um, he's got a couple of very, very nice character scenes uh, uh, with the girl, with the, the lead actress, and um, uh, I think they're they're very good. Uh, and, and, you know, when we left, the last day I saw Dolph there in Malaysia, you know, we sat down 
one night I said, you know, I think you've got a lot more to offer than than you are offering, you know, in the choices you're making. I, I think there's, you know, more of a range than people give him credit for. And yeah. we, we got just a little, we were able to tap into a little bit of that. It's not really the kind of film where you can do much of that, but but there are a couple of scenes that I, his first scene with the girl um, is, is uh, really my favorite scene in the piece. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because, yeah, that's something else that I'd have to give you um, major props for as well because, you know, if, if you look at the, the film on paper, it could, you know, um, kind of get written off. I mean, you can play this, you could play it a couple ways, you know, and some would, if this, say, premiered on uh, the sci-fi channel, if you will, it could, you know, be played off as, you know, a little silly or tongue-in-cheek, and this is not. I mean, everybody in the film is playing this completely serious, and there's this dark tone to it and it and it definitely works it definitely helps uh to sell the entire the entire thing so yeah i have to give you like i said major props and um thank you for not taking it into the um realm of the uh the parody if you will or the the, the silly um you, you kept it all extremely extremely serious and straight and straight face for the uh for the 90 minutes that the that the film is oh i'm glad appreciate that. Um, I think it did play on the Sci-Fi Channel a lot, though. Oh, did it? Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, that's, that's, that must have been uh, when I canceled cable. So, uh, um, so yeah, I just have a, a couple last questions for you. Um, I'm curious, you had mentioned that uh, this, the, this, it was released on a Blu-ray um, in Germany, I believe, 3D. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like the U.S. was one of the last territories to finally get an official release. Do you have any any ideas as to why that might have been, or do you um, did you have a hand in that in that at all? Or once you know, once you finished the film, was it pretty much out of your hands and in in the hands of the distributors? How did that work? Yeah, I have no uh, involvement in that. It um, I, I think the way the deals had been structured, it was uh, it was it, you know it, it was going to open in. Germany first, and and you know I don't know I don't know how they exactly uh, how those these things happen. It's not the same as with a big studio picture. Um, there's not necessarily a, a coordination. Uh, I know Germany had that was a pretty significant sale for this picture. Um, I suppose they really liked Dolph and all that. Um, and they had the 3D thing. They uh, that 3D version was really driven by Germany, so so went there. Um, why it opened in the U.S.? I think actually in England it was even later than the U.S. Um, I don't know why. I think it's just it's just in, in each market, whoever is distributing it uh, there, they they make a calculation based on their needs. Um, uh, but it was a little disappointing because. Uh, the second the, the film was released in Germany um, and maybe somewhere else, but but bam, it was just all over the uh, the pirate sites, you know, the BitTorrent sites and all that, and it was just like a wildfire. And that's so, got to be that's got to be extremely disheartening as a director to see your product just suddenly getting out there like that, right? Yeah, sure. It's it's it, yeah, it drives you nuts because you start. You know, you're looking at numbers and you're thinking, wow, if every one of those people had paid for it instead of stealing it, um, 
you know, that's a lot of money. Um, and, it, and it was popping up on YouTube almost every day, and we, for quite a while, um, you know, we had to be watching that literally day by day to then have it pulled back down, you know, it was, it was crazy. Uh, but, you know, it is what it is, that's, that's the way it is, and there are people out there who are just gonna steal product and, and don't care, um, you know. They don't. They don't realize they're contributing to uh, to killing the business, or you know, making it harder for all of us. But yeah, but that's what. Yeah. And we talked about you know how the, the the budgets for these things are just getting lower and lower and lower, and yeah, that that's definitely a huge contributing factor for for that, unfortunately. So I'm curious, uh, what is what is next for you? Um, I imagine you have have a few things on the horizon. What are you currently working on? Are you at liberty to say it all? Uh, yeah, well, I can say a little bit. Uh, I'm always working uh, as a writer. Uh, I've always got a lot of things going on. I've just written an action film for one of Andy Lau's companies. Uh, Andy Lau, the Hong Kong action star, who's also a mogul. Does a lot of business, um, uh, and and I guess they're hiring me to do another one. So so that's cool. Um, um, as far as directing, I have a couple of things that are, are really close that I probably don't want to talk about too much. But um, one is a is a, a very cool action picture that's a true story, uh, and it's a period piece. And uh, and then the other is completely different, a much brighter uh, summer fantasy adventure kind of picture. And probably you would enjoy it because you have a fondness, it sounds like, for 80s movies. And it's a little bit of a throwback to that. Oh, very times. cool. Uh, so, yeah, I'm busy. I'm busy. It's a tough business, but I'm busy. Would you consider revisiting the robots and Max Gatlin again if the opportunity arose? Uh, yeah, maybe. Uh, <laughs> we wanted to, uh, kind of, at one point, uh, but, you know, Dolph was busy and, and uh, uh, well, you know, we're all tired from that one. It was a hard shoot and, uh, uh, you know... It, and, and things changed a little bit. The market has really, really changed. Uh, so, you know, it's, I, I don't know if the support would be there the same way as there was just a few years ago. Uh, so I don't know. I would, yeah. I mean, Max Gatling as a character, ton of fun. I would love to uh, to do another Max Gatling story for sure. But I'm just not sure that. Uh, you know, there's enough interest in the stage, you know, uh, never say never, I guess. Yeah, yeah, well, cool. Well, hey, uh, Mr. Hatton, thank you so much for uh, for taking this time to uh, speak with me today. Um, I really did appreciate it, and, um, and yeah, please, please keep on doing what you do, and, uh, yeah, Battle of the Damned, like I said, it's one of those things that uh, I just watched it again the other night, and it still plays well. It's a ton of fun, um, and you definitely... I feel like you're definitely an inspiration for, you know, anyone who is, you know, wanting to get into the, the film business and write and direct, um, the, just the way how you're able to film this film 
and you know do all these action sequences and tell the story on the budget and the shooting schedule that you had but um, it still looks good and it still looks you know uh, you know so big so uh, so yeah so excellent job and, and, and thank you so much Sean, thank you. I really appreciate it. Very kind of you. And this is a lot of fun. You and you, you will edit out all the uh, long-winded, boring stuff, right? Uh, yes, yes, I will. Yes, I will. <laughs> Good. All right, man. All right.